I would like to show my respect and acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which these interviews take place. I would also like to respectfully acknowledge the Wangal people, who are the traditional custodians of the land on which I live and work. So what I did in mine was I just put a bucket out next to my street library. So so I took a photo of that. I put it up. Biggest mistake I made was I put it up on Facebook. Um, and I said, hi, I'm Tim. I live in Canberra. I've just found out that milk leads don't get recycled. If you get them to me, um, I will get them to the place that needs them. And um, I only intended to collect about a quarter of a million lids over the next six months. We ended up getting that first quarter of a million lids that was our target for six months. We got that in three weeks. I'm Prema, the host of this podcast, What Can We Do? In each episode, I speak to someone or an organisation that's making impact. You will learn about the issue, why it exists, the challenges, but most importantly, how you can be a part of the solution. My hope is that you can take away two to three tips each episode that will support you in your helping journey. Today, I have with me Tim Miller, founder of Lids for Kids. Uh, my name's Tim Miller. I'm the founder of Lids for Kids Australia, uh, which is a grassroots 100% volunteer project that we started to rescue small plastic from landfill, primarily plastic bottle lids, uh, which we found out um, that weren't actually getting recycled. So even though you can collect the milk bottle and the soft drink bottle or water bottle and put that in your recycling, um, the lids themselves don't actually get processed or recycled. So once we found out that, um, just using purely using social media and a volunteer network, we're all just regular mums and dads and grandparents and school kids, we started collecting it in our own suburbs and quite quickly it's amassed to a, a national project now where we have people collecting all over Australia. Before we go into the details of your work, uh, and the organisation. Could you tell me a bit about your own background and what sort of was that turning point for you to form this organisation? Yeah, I, I'm just a average house dad, I guess. I'm a yeah full-time stay-at-home dad now with three boys under 13. But I spent 25 years in the Commonwealth Public Service working for the Federal Office of Road Safety. So I love cars, um, but my passion is about safety. And so with my work, um, I spent 25 years trying to convince people to buy the safest cars they possibly could. And then towards the end, so we were doing the green vehicle guide. I, I guess through that transition of being primarily focused on safety and then focusing on the planet, that helped in my private life as well. So when I became a house dad, um, we immediately travelled around Australia. So I piled the three boys. Well, actually, it was only one boy. We left when the first one was only three weeks old into a camper van and we went around Australia for six months and um, spent most of the time in the outback and rural and regional areas um, and we only intended to go for six months but six years later we were still on the road and we'd had two more boys but every single day that we bush camped um, we found rubbish we found rubbish everywhere not the big so it wasn't your big tires and 44 gallon drums and a lot of Macca's waste it was the small waste. So everywhere we pulled up for lunch, it could be in the desert or a forest or near a beach, I would say to the boys, right, before lunch, everyone go get your five things. And they knew that those five things were, um, they'd come back with a bread tag, a cigarette butt, a milk lid, 
a plastic wrapper of some kind and something metal of some kind. And all of them were about the size of a 10 cent piece. So it was got the kids focused on the small plastic that's really the problem because this is the stuff that during storms and particularly flooding, which we're very conscious of right now um, with southern Queensland and New South Wales, these floodwaters are basically picking up um, not only are they devastating communities, but from an environmental perspective, they're just basically flushing all of the all the rivers and valleys and streets and towns and everything, not just waste, but just household debris, town debris is ending up in our oceans and rivers. So the the most that we can um, keep out of the environment is is obviously the better. So um, that's how it started, was just that decade of getting the, getting the kids focused on that the biggest problem isn't large recyclables because lots of people can already do that um, through their household recycling. It's just focusing on that small stuff um, that ends up being microplastics in our oceans. Once you formed Lids for Kids, how did you know how to go about doing this? Because like you said, it wasn't a problem that majority of perhaps organisations or even national and government organisations were tackling. Forming Lids for Kids was a complete accident. I never expected it to get as big as it did. I suppose it came about that the ACT government where I live, without bashing them, um, they just didn't have provision to collect this small plastic waste. So if you had household batteries or bread clips or corks or any kind of small lid, um, um, they started this ad campaign where it, and they held up a credit card and they said, if you've got any piece of plastic smaller than a credit card, we can't recycle it. Just put it in your landfill bin. What I did was I found um, one plastic recycler down in Melbourne, um, not a proper plastic recycler, but a, just another bunch of do-gooder dads like me. They were engineers and they were collecting this small plastic as well. And they decided, much like um, very similar to the precious plastic community that operates internationally, um, which is just volunteers and completely open source community, um, they, they got their own granulators and extruders and injection mould machines and decided that they were going to tackle the problem themselves. So when I started Lids for Kids, it was more about empowering school kids, people with a disability and seniors, you know, the people that didn't have full-time jobs and that felt kind of helpless when they found out about the plastic problem of not knowing what they could do and how they could make a meaningful contribution in their community. So what I did in mine was I just put a bucket out next to my street library. So... So I took a photo of that. I put it up. Biggest mistake I made was I put it up on Facebook um, and I said, hi, I'm Tim. I live in Canberra. I've just found out that milk leads don't get recycled. If you get them to me, um, I will get them to the place that needs them. And um, I only intended to collect about a quarter of a million lids over the next six months. And once I put the photo up, it went viral in the first 48 hours. I think it had 800,000 views because like me, most mums and dads out there didn't realise that this stuff wasn't getting recycled. We ended up getting that first quarter of a million lids that was our target for six months. We got that in three weeks. So um, the biggest problem we had then was um, state by state and city by city, we had to find plastic manufacturers, small recyclers and other precious plastic communities out there that were willing to take this plastic. So if I had my time again, um, and if I was planning a national charity, which, as I said, I never expected it to get this big in a million years, I was just going to do it in my little part of Canberra, um, I would start the, up. you know, I put the cart before the horse. I said, let's collect. Oh, my God, now, we're, now where do they go? So we filled up so many garages all over Australia. 
but now with a with a charity and a great network of volunteers and a really great board um, we're partnering with as many plastic recyclers as we can to turn it into school supplies and playground equipment and park benches what journey does a little plastic cap take from the minute it hits your bucket or hits sort of a community collection bucket to kind of its end product if a little kid is having their cereal at home and they put milk on their cereal and they finish the bottle, the thing that we tell them to do is quickly go and rinse that out because the biggest thing that um, we really, really need is for lids to be clean. Um, if your school is participating with lids for kids, you can put that into the little bucket that you might have at your school or your classroom. And then once that school has enough lids, um, they can colour sort for us. And then from there, um, when they come into one of our, so that would be at a collection point, and then it would go to the town coordinator for that town. So all of the schools or businesses or general communities can get it to their town coordinator. That town coordinator would um, basically consolidate all the colours into bigger boxes and then get them to their regional coordinator. And then the next step, um, which is the most important for plastic recycling, is polymer sorting. So if anybody's ever had a look at a recycled triangle, or notice the triangle either under a lid on, or in any other piece of plastic, there's a number there between one and seven on it. And without going into the detail of what all the numbers mean, um, it's very important that if you want to recycle that plastic, that you put all the number twos together, or you put all the number fours together. Separate them by those. And then once we've got them here at our workshop in Canberra, um, we put them into our granulator, which is basically a shredder. Uh, it's about the size of an upright photocopy machine with a big bucket in top, so we can pour they come out and they come out like little flakes of muesli about the size of, you know, not quite grains of rice, but about five mil long. Um, and then those flakes get sent off to any one of our plastic plastic partners like Precious Plastic Workshops or we have a group, um, a co-op down in Melbourne called Rethink Recycling. So some of these guys are making um, like coasters, chopping boards, big sheets of plastic that can then be cut up into all all sorts of different things like letter boxes or possum boxes. It's a lot of household items that can be, I guess, used and reused, but more importantly, the products that they're making can displace a product that's currently made out of virgin plastic. Um, bigger items that we're looking to make are park benches. So we're partnering with the Lions Club in, in Australia, and we also do a lot of work with Rotary. Um, international and we also work with scouts all over the country to collect these. Um, the other thing that we do that the other plastic manufacturers in Australia aren't doing is because we're separating it by polymer and we're producing a bench say that's made out of just number two or high density polyethylene, when that bench gets to the end of its life it can also be recycled because it's made out of one type of plastic whereas all the bollards and railway sweepers and um, park benches that you might see elsewhere that are made out of mixed plastic or what they call a witch's brew where you just chuck everything in there as, as possible, that can't be recycled. So, um, yeah, that's the way that we're trying to make a difference and showing the kids that just from their bowl of cereal to a park bench at their school, they've made a big difference to the environment. How big is Lids for Kids at the moment? I think the big way, and I suppose this is with every industry and every community in Australia or indeed the world world now, we talk about BC and today. So BC is before COVID <laughs> and then in current day. So before COVID, 
we had over 25,000 members nationally. And we got that within the first three to six months. It just went huge. And as I said, I personally can't take any credit for that because I just put my post and said, here's, here's what I'm doing in Canberra. If you want to do the same thing, do it in your town. But what quickly happened was that everybody started asking the same three questions, which is what leads do you want? Where can I drop them off? And how do I get them to you? We had over 7,000 registered collection points just on Facebook. We were listing them all on Facebook. Um, we exploded to nearly 40 different Facebook pages um, that people had set up for all their communities and towns post-COVID, which we're quite excited to say, or we're now doing everything through a website. So we're, we've cut down, we had nearly, as I said, nearly 40 Facebook pages. And so now we have one Facebook group per state. So if you go onto our website, which is lids4kids.org.au, you can find your state and then drill down and find your local area. Just in the New South Wales ACT region, we've rescued over 30 tonne. Why isn't local government equipped to handle small plastic waste? The answer is always money. But unfortunately, for all of the small plastic, um, to have the workforce and to have the machines that can process that small plastic, it just costs so much more, man- more money and it's so much more, I guess, hands-on. Um, it's so... I, I want to use the word finicky. So if you go to a recycling centre now, you see all the bulk recycling um, coming in on trucks. It's getting dumped by the tonnes. They handle several hundred thousand tonnes a month in these centres. You know, millions and billions, millions of dollars worth of metal and technology that are brilliant. You know, they can funnel it all through. They can process it. They can sort it. They can crush it. But they can only handle bulk, large size stuff. So all of the small things like bread clips and lids and even metal lids and little bits of paper, they literally fall through the cracks and ends up on the ground. So, And the other sad part of the process, if they were to do it like we do it, which is by hand, collect it, wash it, sort it, shred it and process it, um, for what they would have to sell it for, um, the amount of hours that goes into, and I can't stress this enough, it's so many hours that volunteers lovingly put in collecting this sort of stuff to prevent it to go into landfill. Um, if we had to put a dollar value per kilo on that product at the end of the day, it might be like $100 per kilo. And if that was to get turned into a park bench that, say, uses 25 kilos, no one's going to spend that amount of money on the product at the end of the process. So what we're asking local councils to do is just have a one-stop drop-off for their community because you have to sort it at the source got to be sorted at homes, at workplaces, at schools, where the product's actually consumed. It's being left up to the private sector to take the lead. So you might see places like Officeworks, and um, I think another example is Aldi. You can drop your batteries off. Officeworks, you can turn some of their old pens and, and things like that. The local council just needs to have somewhere in their foyer where you can bring in your bread tags, your corks, your rubber bands, your, your batteries and stuff like that, and then they can get it off. Um, to the right place to be reprocessed. What are some of the misconceptions? Um, either you can answer this two ways. Misconceptions either about the work that you do or perhaps in the sort of plastic recycling space. So when we tell people that we're collecting plastic lids and bread tags and batteries and they just go, that stuff already gets recycled. I can already put that in my yellow lid bin. 
um, you guys are just duplicating effort. Why do we why do we need to do that for? And then when we explain to them that no, if you actually look at your local council website or your state government website where they try and teach you how to recycle right, um, there's all these guides on there that say that yeah, no, any piece of plastic smaller than a credit card or all of these other items. Um, don't actually get recycled and they can't accept them. Um, the other misconception is, and this gets to more of the pessimistic um, side of things, the misconception was, oh, I guess, why, why should we bother recycling when the government's not going to do with it? They're, you know, they're not equipped. So um, the other misconception is that um, it'll triangle on it and it'll tell you what type of plastic is so, so that when you do start sorting this stuff, you know how to sort it between one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven, is that not every piece of plastic has that triangle. Um, manufacturers just don't bother putting it on. We thought that was a, a mandatory um, law, but it turns out it's just a voluntary code of practice. Besides the community grassroots work you're doing with the collection centres um, and that fantastic network of volunteers, are you collaborating with government? Um, are you trying to advocate for more sort of policy level changes? Uh, yeah, and, and, and a geographical thing. I'm located in Canberra, and in Canberra, I'm in Belconnen. So, what I what I'm doing, as I guess, as the pilot, is I'm focusing on the ACT first. Is because if I can convince the ACT to change, um, then I'd like to think that the dominoes would fall, and that other states would look at what our territory is doing and, and follow suit. What I've been doing here in the ACT for the last couple of years, I've met with every single election candidate, even the guy in charge of the, the EPA. We've said, look, this is ultimately your responsibility. We want you guys to be able to process this. And they've, they've just said, look, they'd love to, but even being able to handle small plastic is years off. Um, for them to build a dedicated recycling facility would take you know millions of dollars and quite some time. Um, so I, I've just basically said to them numerous times, um, is, well, look, we're not going to wait. We're going to do this. Just give us the location to do it. So I've been begging the AC government for a shed for two years with absolutely no luck, unfortunately. The Lions Club has stepped forward. They've offered us some land to have a shed built where we can accept all of this stuff and, and sort it all out. I guess with our partnership with government, um, quite sadly, we've just given up waiting and we've gone ahead. The goal is to have in the ACT, again, as a pilot, we want to put a zero waste bucket in every single household in Canberra so that they can rescue all of this small plastic and then they've got a swap and go system, much like a gas bottle, where they can drop it off and swap it for another one um, and, and we'll process them, them ourselves. As I said, with the Lions Club and all the volunteers we've got with Scouts and Rotary and schools, we're, um, we're just going to do it ourselves until the government's in a position to take it over. What can the community do to support Lids for Kids to get to that next level, I guess? So the first step is um, actually proving to governments that as a consumer, you're willing to rescue this plastic yourself. In a way, all of these manufacturers, uh, the relationship that we want to have with those guys is pretty much they're making a product that can be recycled. Um, it's not their fault that it's not getting recycled, but these multi-million dollar companies have a lot of weight they said to each of their local governments and state governments, we're producing a product that can be recycled and it's not getting recycled. So as individuals, I think the biggest way, the best three ways you can help is walk the walk by actually collecting this sort of stuff, but then do talk the talk, which means 
talk to your local government representative, talk to your local member and say, we need somewhere in our local community for us to drop this stuff off. Look, just something simple as a letter. We found that just using online petitions works really well. Um, and also just the visual, the optics of having a truck full of plastic lids collected and saying, hey, look, local member, our school has rescued all this plastic. We've prevented it from going not only into the environment and polluting our rivers and waterways, but we've stopped it just needlessly going into landfill, but trying to convince the government that it's, it's important to do the right thing and actually build the facilities where this stuff can be recycled and manufactured into products locally in Australia where it can be repurposed. But the thing we remind everyone is that even if we can convince government, the responsibility is still on us as consumers because the government will always say, we could set this all up and we could make everything under the sun from tables and chairs and kitchen bench tops and shower recesses and everything out of this plastic. If the consumers aren't prepared to buy that, um, wholesale produced virgin plastic products, if people aren't prepared to pay that little bit extra for the recycled product, then it'll, it'll never work. Um, they'd be the three things. Um, actually start collecting, put pressure on your local government to take it, but then take the responsibility within yourself to, um, to buy plastic products that have better stewardship, better environmental stewardship and, and better sustainability practices in what their products made out of. Why is the work your organisation does important? I think my opinion on that has changed over time. Um, when we first started it, the most important thing about Lids for Kids and what we were achieving was just the tangible results of the plastic that was getting rescued. But the thing that I think is far more important and the greater impact that Lids for Kids is having that I never expected is the social benefit. So particularly for little kids, um, seniors, people with disability, basically all people like us, stay-at-home parents that aren't working full-time um, and, and don't necessarily have transport options available for ourselves, or we might all have physical impairments or uh, health conditions or just age restrictions, whether it be too young or a little bit older, is that every single person still has the capacity to make a difference in their community. Everyone can still do something small each day to make their little corner of the world a better place. And in particular, during COVID and during that large period of isolation that we all went through, from a mental health perspective, knowing that you can have something meaningful that you can do that does have a difference for your environment, there's something like this because everybody, every single person in, in Australia and indeed the world can make sure that nothing goes into their waste bin. And it really is just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much else that you can do. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe or follow it on social media. Your support will help this podcast reach more listeners. This podcast is produced by Samoha Media.